0: The following episode is brought to you ad-free by Daiichi Sankyo.
1: This journey also has turned somebody who's lived her life as a fixer and a giver to having to change part of who she is to be able to accept from people.
2: From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, part one in a two-part miniseries on rare disease, particularly rare sarcomas and particularly clear cell sarcoma. Joining Andrew and me for both of these episodes are co-founders Lenny Woods, the executive director, and Molly Liska, the chief operating officer of the nonprofit group Sarah's Cure. Sarah's Cure is a passionate, grassroots, race-against-time campaign focused on funding and research to find a cure for, you guessed it, clear-cell sarcoma. So while we spoke about all things emerging therapies, treatments, trials, and the origin story behind Sarah's Cure, that being the miraculous survival of 17-year-old Sarah Woods, who was diagnosed with the disease in 2016, the meat and potatoes of what we talked about really dug into patient advocacy. What does it look like in the micromarkets? How does collaboration and not competition work when the rising tide mentality of making a difference far outweighs the more traditional and unfortunate practice of get off my lawn? Here we go. Enjoy part one. Let's get to this because I'm excited to have you guys here on the show, not only for the fact that we are going to share a lot of drugstore psychology of being nonprofit founders and running nonprofits and chasing aspirations and using lots of jargon that we don't have to. But I think the one thing I learned about you that I'm very envious of having been a nonprofit founder and executive director for 14 years is that you've never written a grant on a pharma portal. Go.
3: I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> is it a good thing or a bad
2: thing? I think, um, I think you're, you're in really good shape having never done that. But if you are going to do that, you're going to need some definite therapy prior to your first time.
3: I kind of figured that out. We did write a grant on a portal. It wasn't a pharma portal. It was a private company seeking out um, 10 organizations with rare disease. And I think they, I can't remember. They they ended up picking 30 because they had so many applications. But, yeah, it was a a lot of work. and And the chances of us getting it were really, really slim. So I'm not so sure how. Our future, who knows? I'm not sure what our future is going to be like with writing grants just because we get so much more done. Maybe one day we'll be able to afford a grant writer. I don't know, but we get so much more done by, um, you know, just in person, face to face with companies and organizations. So it's, you know,
2: well, in competing the,
3: against yes, everyone.
2: In the, you know, you've made it ometer. Of nonprofit leadership, if you can get through the portal where they have to tell you exactly what they need from a financial forecasting projection perspective and the Excel Mm -hmm. spreadsheet that gives you uh, actually gives you hives, then, you know, you've succeeded as a nonprofit executive.
3: (laughs) Well, I've gotten all that from other things. (laughs) So no.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> is that a TMI here in the show? I think that's perfectly no. fine to hear. No. But, but no. let's dig into this. Sarah's Cure, you're here to fund research, drug development to fast track a cure for clear cell sarcoma. I know that, you know, the cancer words to the average person are just everything's cancer. No one realizes there's like 200 of them. But at the same time, mm-hmm. sarcoma is a word people may have heard of, but now we have subdivisions of sarcoma. So let's drill mm-hmm. into that science because my my brother-in-law passed away from Ewing sarcoma. I have friends with rhabdosarcoma, sarcoma, osteosarcoma is a bone cancer. What is yeah. clear cell? Let's get into this. H- how did this get started? Not that not the med not the biology. We know how the bio- <laughs> how did you get into the business of clear <laughs> cell sarcoma advocacy?
3: Well, to so to start, all those sarcomas you just mentioned, which by the way, it might they might be more common to you, but to you probably deal with this. Most people, when they hear sarcoma, they it takes them a while to remember sarcoma. They call us carcinoma because uh. I think that's even you know more in people's everyday vocabulary. But sarcoma, you're right. We've heard everything from there's 50 subtypes to 150 subtypes. I don't think anybody really knows. And sarcoma to us in clear cell, um, the ones you just mentioned are all to us very common sarcoma, which that's crazy to say because none of them are common. Clear cell sarcoma, which is the one that my daughter was diagnosed with. Yeah, we. I mean, who had heard of it? I hadn't heard of any of the. All these words were new to me four years ago. What it boils down to, like most cancers, is it boils down to a certain mutation. That's how you know. That's how it's defined. I guess is is through uh, sequencing and fish test and by the mutation that drives the cancer. So, clear cell sarcoma. Well, it's got the name sarcoma it's still very different from all of the others. And the ones that, that your loved one had, the Ewings, we actually share a um half of a mutation with that one. But what we're finding is it's still they're very they're extremely different. So study wise, they're similar, but so far treatment wise, polar opposites.
2: So Sarah was seventeen with this and let alone mm-hmm. being a young adult or a teenager with cancer, which is You know, I think there's 80,000 cancers under 40 every year. And in teenagers and children, it's like Mm 15,000. That's the rarest of the rare, let alone getting a rarest cancer of a rare cancer in a rare cancer group. So great niche market you (laughs) built there.
3: Yeah. In fact, that one of the doctors (laughs) at MD Anderson, that's how she defined it you're, you've got a rare, there's rare cancer, and then there's the rarest of the rare. And that's where you fall. That's what they told us.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to dive into the the question of what sarcoma is just a little bit further. Uh, As the person in the room who, who probably needs to be schoolhouse rocked a little bit more (laughs) than the rest of us. uh, What do all sarcomas have in common? And when we talk about clear cell sarcoma, what does that expression, clear cell, refer to?
3: Well, great question. And we don't have our science, our scientific director on here, so I'll tell you in the best terms that I can. But clear cell, just as the way I understand it, it just happens to be the way the cells appear, say, under the microscope, um, which can't doesn't necessarily define it because there's a lot of clear cell type tumors that fall under clear cell. There's a, other other tumors that are defined with that in their name. But we are a soft tissue sarcoma. Sarcoma has, you have your bone sarcoma and your soft tissue sarcoma, and we fall under soft tissue. It's, um, and for clear cell, we are, I guess our, what do you call it? Your stem cell, Your we're neuroendocrine. So we're from the neural crest tumors. Mm. Part of what makes ours difficult to diagnose and why it's so deadly and not heard of is you don't have a lot of pain from it. Like if you have a bone sarcoma, a lot of times like with osteo kids will get a break. Um, they might be on the soccer field and have a kick hit the ball in the wrong way. And they have a break that really shouldn't have happened. And that's, they go for an X-ray and they find the osteo with ours, Our tumors get really large before they're discovered because they just kind of push things out of the way. Cause they're soft tissue. Like my daughter, The quick history on hers, which was um, really interesting. We were on a mission trip in Guatemala, and, you know, if you ever go on a mission trip in some places, you most people will get some kind of GI issue, you know, with the water, drinking the water, eating certain foods. So that happened to her, not uncommon, and typically it doesn't bother you. You just kind of deal with it while you're on on your trip. But her tumor at that time was less than two centimeters, which is very small, very, very small. And, um, what we think and what the doctors think happened is that the inflammation caused by the GI issues caused the, the intestine to twist. Cause that's where my daughter's primary was in her intestine, which is also, by the way, my, my daughter's version is the rarest of this ultra rare version. If that, isn't even crazier, but they, they found it and they took it out in Guatemala and, you know, they were amazing there. We were at a private hospital and then we got home and that started the whole, the whole quest and, you know, to find what is this and why doesn't anybody in this day and age not know about it or not have more information? Yeah. So, but they can appear anywhere. I mean, we've had patients with them on literally almost every part of the body, literally. And, you know, Ears, tongue, nose. The majority of of clear cell sarcoma and other soft tissue sarcomas are found in the limbs and the extremities, but they can be anywhere.
2: You know, fun fact of the day: I had a neuroendocrine tumor. Really? Yeah, my brain cancer called medulloblastoma oh. is mm-hmm. considered a, a PNET, a, a primary neuroendocrine P-net. tumor. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. I think that speaks to the larger conversation of it's not about where in your body things are it's how it breaks down genetically and how you address it genetically correct
3: Correct and in fact there are some so what we do run across and again uh, another time maybe Kelly could be on here and really drill down more in the science but yours there are some crossovers in the research and the findings with um your type of tumor as well. And and there also is with triple negative breast cancer. You know, there's they share our main driver um, is, also, is often found in triple negative breast cancer. So that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just speaks to the larger conversation of how far we progressed in understanding what cancer is. It's not one thing and it's not mm-hmm. localized to what part of your body it's in. And I think if I'm going to observe and we're going to agree on this because we did uh, in the many times you've spoken in the past, that it, it, the way you treat cancer isn't based on your body parts anymore. We, we've, we've moved past the whole body right. part part of the conversation, pun intended. And, yes, mm-hmm. you're going to have sort of disease-specific concerns. If it's breast cancer, clearly you're going to have issues related to having a breast removed or hormone issues. If it's brain, obviously there's a whole other, whole other literal ball of wax but what, what have you learned? And you know, you became the accidental advocates by your daughter getting this random diagnosis of cancer. Was it, was it, um, was it interesting to learn or did you have preconceived understandings or expectations of what cancer was? And you're like, Oh, it's not that at all.
3: Yeah. It was interesting to learn, but also it's ongoing. I, I mean now, now four years later, I don't take anything, I know six months from now, what we think we know right now could be different, and that's why it's so important to keep the research going, but more importantly, to keep those researching uh, neuroendocrine tumors or um, triple negative tumors, they need to communicate more, because one, this gets into another topic, but one problem is, while while it's not body part related, they do share what we call targets and mutations. And if we if we study why these things happen, then we might can tweak our treatments a little bit better for each individual patient, which which we need to
0: do. Great. Yeah, sure. So I, I, I had another question. As you so you were suddenly confronted with the need to not just be an advocate, but also to develop uh, a business. Nonprofits are businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to become a business leader, and for that you needed uh, uh, operational capacity. And Molly came on board to do that. What was it like to initiate your partnership? How did it come together? Maybe maybe you want to talk
1: about that. <laughs> Molly, you so, want to say that? Yeah, you know, it. Lenny and I have known each other for years. We were college roommates.
2: Oh wow. Um,
1: and remained lots best of friends. secrets.
2: Lots of secrets.
1: Lots of secrets. A lot. That that's a whole nother several podcasts, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but we remain part of each other's lives the whole way through. Um, so we were randomly put together and um, as roommates and and now here we were with Sarah being born and then we all have kids and we get into that stage and then you get that horrible phone call with this nightmare cancer. Um, The first time Sarah had her tumor, you know, we all got on board and I had called Lenny and said, you know, what do you want me to do? Um, I'll start a GoFundMe. Let's get this going. And she was like, no, 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 I don't want to start a GoFundMe. Um, One thing you'll learn is you learn from Lenny more this journey also has turned had to turn somebody who's lived her life as a fixer and a giver to having to change part of who she is to be able to accept from people because that's not Lenny. Lenny was always a I'm gonna do it and you know I'll take care of it. Um so she was not comfortable accepting any financial help through this because at that time it was not necessary. And so we, you know, then it was just becoming an emotional support system for them through all of this, going to visit Sarah when we could and, um, you know, just being uplifting. So when that first tumor was taken out and she got through the septic part of it and got better, we all kind of took a big sigh of relief and thought, oh, thank goodness, you know, she, this, they caught it by fluke, this is rare, you know, but because it was caught by a fluke, you know we're we're going to go on and she's going to be fine because usually when they find it it's so much more advanced so she's a miracle and it was not a year later that her reoccurrence came and that phone call from Lenny was it's back we've we're having to be rushed to um, Sloan Kettering and we've got to you know have another surgery. And so it was back and forth with texts from there. And then it was one night at, I think, ten thirty one one night, I get a phone call, for or no, text from Lenny. Sarah was asleep in her hospital bed. And she texted me and said, you know, she's struggling emotionally. Come to New York. I'll fly you. And I was like, what? what? And, of course, I don't fly. It's not my thing. So the next thing we know, I'm on a train at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Literally tra- that morning.
2: <laughs> How orient expressive of you.
1: Yeah, right. So I took a train to New York. So as we were going through that and trying to lift Sarah up and get her well after her surgery and coming back, um, there was that realization of, you know, I was gonna do a walk. And it started with this, well, I'll do a walk because Lenny was finally like, okay, now that it's coming back, I might need help. You know, this is now a whole different ballgame. And so I was like, Well, we'll do a walk. And I'm, you know, making these little designs of t-shirts sitting in the hospital room and you we'll know, stick people. And by the time we got Sarah home um, and kind of started life back and and I came to Lenny's house for another visit and we were talking about where do we need to go and what do we need to do with this, um, we had come to the realization that this was a lot more than just a walk. The more we had researched, the more we realized that money that we give to people um, is not going to go to the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. It's just not going to funnel down to Sarah's needs. And um, that's that's where it started, on the living room of of Lenny's floor of, you know, when it's your goddaughter, Sarah's my goddaughter, when it's your goddaughter and this is her life, a preschool teacher becomes the chief operating officer because it's just what we do. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we had to do.
3: We, mm-hmm. I think what we said that day when this kind of all really, when the first spark hit was we were like, okay, how are we going to, first we never believed that we couldn't find something. There had to be somebody in the world. I don't care what corner of the, of the universe they were in. We, Our words were, we've got to flush out somebody's working on clear cell sarcoma. Someone has to be. And I think that was how it started. And then it evolved from there. We were hoping we would just fund a grant to the person or institution working on clear cell sarcoma. And we, you know, we were talking to institutions and we were talking to Sarcoma Foundation of America, and they are so amazing. And even they said, you know, we want to do this for you guys and we want to help you get this grant. But, you know, they were like, you may need to do something bigger. And so that's where it evolved. And if we think back to it, if we knew then what we know now, I don't know, Molly, we (laughs) might (laughs) have.
1: Well, I think we still would have done it, but we would have been more apprehensive and not as cocky in doing it i guess i should say i guess um yeah you know sometimes knowledge and knowing oh. isn't always better <laughs> Ignorance um, list. it Ignorance can be list. it can definitely yeah.
2: be i, I want to commend yeah. you both initially for having I, I would almost say the um the predilection to not instantly say we're starting a nonprofit organization but having a, a level of intellectual productivity to say hmm maybe there might be someone else doing this and let's figure that out first.
1: Yes. Very. And that was, that yeah. was something we repeatedly said in the beginning was we don't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, we want to find that person and get behind them wholeheartedly because somebody has got to be doing this. Yeah. I mean, we didn't want to waste time. You know yeah. I mean?
2: I mean, I hold people on the hook for rushing to start a nonprofit for no reason. And again, it's oddly commendable in this scenario. You did the right thing. You said, let's not, figure out what this is first. Maybe there's someone else doing this. And I'm glad you went to uh, uh, SFA because yes, they're great. They do amazing work, but you're looking at, again, such a tiny little niche rabbit hole to go into. What What was it like when you realized, crap, we really got to do this on our own. And if, it, if we don't do it, no one get it done.
1: So, and Lenny, <laughs> you can chime in. I mean, I am just a, I think that we talk about this too. First of all, our personalities coming together for this is something not everybody has, I guess. I've always been the kind of person that if you tell me what we need, I'm going to get it. Um, and Lenny is very type A personality too. So um, in starting it, it kind of, we didn't really have a full game plan. I just remember looking at Lenny sitting on her living room floor and saying to her, what is, if we do something, what is your number one goal? And her response to me was, my number one goal is to find somebody who wakes up every day working on a treatment for clear cell sarcoma. And so that then entitled our our original mission, because that has had to change, which we can get to later, but that was our original mission, was we're going to do that. So as we sat and discussed how we were going to do it, um, you know, it just kind of naturally played to our roles of our personalities. I am mm-hmm. I'm a connector. Um, and Lenny is is a behind the scenes doer as far as okay, I'm gonna, you know, call the state and we're gonna get into this and I'm gonna see what it takes to form a nonprofit. We just I think kind of I mean, Lenny, chime in there yeah. if I'm missing something. We really no. kind of took our natural roles. That, yeah,
3: we did. And you make me, you get me emotional. I forgot. You're right. That was the, that was the single statement as I want, I want to know, or I want to find somebody who wakes up every day and their single goal in their job is to cure clear cell sarcoma.
1: And I'll never forget it. It's one of those images yeah. like 9-11 where you'll never forget when right. you're at that moment. Yeah. Us sitting there, me on the, carpet of your living room and you on the couch and and i'll never that's something stuck with me forever now
2: it's a real origin story
3: it's pretty amazing and i'm so thankful and there's more i mean we have another member of our group who is she came in later in in the organization but at the time she was still employed as a cell biologist researcher at a um, institution but she is another Dear friend and become best friend, you know, later in life. I didn't meet her in college, but our kids were friends anyway. Um, and she's credited with saving Sarah's life. Um, the first time actually, because she was studying this because she was a friend, she, you know, dropped everything she was doing and read every paper she could find, which wasn't many, but at least she could interpret them at the time. I couldn't, which I'm sure you know about Matthew. Um, but yeah, so boy, it's divine to have me, Molly and I lifelong friends and then other people involved, which has really made it work. And where it's evolved is um, patients started finding us and actually patients had organized and I they were in a secret group that I didn't know about because I wasn't a big Facebooker. Um, So when the patients started finding us and one uh, by through uh, Google hit, from New York City was the very first one. And I remember we set up a, uh, not a Skype call, but a FaceTime call. And both of us were just so so emotional because it was like we found somebody else in the world who has this. Well, you know, now we know four years later, well, that was, I mean, two years, two and a half years later, whatever, since the foundation started. But now we know that there are a lot more. And Sarah's Cure, we've been able to give a voice internationally to clear cell sarcoma patients. So, Even though we started out really thinking Sarah might be the only one alive. So, yeah, it's like when, you know, we started thinking we were going to be doing this for one person and anybody future that was diagnosed. We found there is a whole family out there and we've become the, the nobody just in the in the past was, I guess, able to organize enough. Our patients are so sick. They can hardly, you know, deal with their own. You know, illness and health insurance, much less start a foundation or advocate or or try to have a mission to find somebody working on it. So
2: I'd like to I'd like to spend a few minutes because this will be this is a two parter for those listening. We're going to keep an exciting (laughs) conclusion coming up. But it's (laughs) I can't not hear the words 17 year old with cancer and not instantly slap my nonprofit hat back on. So I have a bunch of kind of lightning round questions for you about Sarah's story uh, that are relevant to what I care about, knowing that I spent 16 years of my career fighting for the fact that when you're not 80, you should be Mm -hmm. diagnosed and treated differently. And when you're not eight, you should be diagnosed and treated differently. So if if I may, how long did it take for her to get a proper diagnosis, whether Guatemala helped or didn't?
3: Um we were lucky. We're not the norm in clear cell. It took us about 30 days, which is lightning fast compared to most. Um and I, I have to credit Kelly, our scientific director and one of my best friends with that because you know, how many people have a cell biologist as a best friend whose husband had who, who was also our best friend had recently died from um a brain tumor. So there were a lot of things laid out in the path that helped us get there faster, if you will. Yes. You know what I mean? So we were very, very fortunate. Um, but normally it is much longer. It can be a year. Some of our patients, it, it took a year to get a proper diagnosis. And some of them are still, you know, they're still dealing with having a misdiagnosis. We've had some go through three different diagnoses before they finally settle on clear cell.
2: Yeah, so, I can imagine. I, I misdiagnosis are very high in younger people in general, but yeah, not everyone yeah. has, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson as their uncle. So congratulations <laughs> for picking <laughs> all the you. right friends in your life. <laughs> exactly. My my second mm-hmm. question was, as a minor, uh, was the conversation of fertility preservation brought up in any context?
3: Not with with Sarah, no. That was, a, you know, this diagnosis is so aggressive, and um, as some doctors have said, just just relentless that that's not even important. And of course, too, chemotherapy, usually will drive those conversations, and chemotherapy is not recommended with this sarcoma.
2: Right. That was my second. My third question was, yeah. what is the standard treatment by which this is undertaken? And when you're a young adult, do they factor in a, a potential 60-year follow-up for survivorship then a 20-year follow-up for survivorship?
3: Okay, that's the million-dollar question. What is the protocol for this? That's the question I'm trying to get regulatory to answer, everybody to answer, because it seems to be that the protocol for clear-cell sarcoma depends on where you are in the country or world, because it's different. I, we went to three different NCI-rated cancer institutions, and we got three recommendations, three different.
2: Wow. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So let's let's break that down in part two. I really want to focus on on Sarah. First of all, how old is she today?
3: Sarah is twenty one.
2: Wow, that's a scary age for a mom.
3: I, you know <laughs> what? I listen. One thing that happens when you have a young person whose whole life is ahead of them, all the things that used to bother me or were important four years ago are no longer important. Go drink. Go tattoo, go get a piercing, do whatever you want to do, go live life. So it's been an interesting shift.
2: And I I know this is radio and you'll nod your head on the radio. I'm (laughs) all, I said radio. Podcasting is radio, kids. Look it up. (laughs) Is that getting sick when you're younger makes you more mature more quickly? And would you say that Sarah has the intellectual mindset of someone far advanced of a regular, normal 21-year-old?
3: Remember, she's listening. So you have to say Yes. (laughs) No, absolutely, and as a mom, as her mom, it kind of, it sort of makes me sad that she couldn't sort of progress with her, you know, as her friends did. She's so much more mature than they are in so many ways, but then again, you know, so many parts of, that's a critical time in life for experiences, as we can all think back to between 17 and 21, and um Yes. So that, you know, one door was closed and having those wonderful, um, rites of passage, but then, yeah, the maturity and other things changed greatly and it's hard. I mean, we expect at 40 and 50 to start getting things, but at 17, that shouldn't happen.
2: And my, 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 my last question, given the fact that I did spend my entire career in making sure isolation was the worst thing ever we could try to fix. Had she been introduced to other young adults with any cancer, let alone clear cell, that were in their teenage years or early 20s, some peer support? Had
3: she, are you asking, had she been introduced? Yes. Or has she been? Yes. Uh, um, yeah, you know, a little bit of that started. And let me tell you, I have this theory because I've seen others deal with it at her age now. And it even goes up into really the 20s. When you're beyond, say, 13, but before 30, it's a little bit different. Um, you don't necessarily, it's not like when you're five or eight and you make, you're in, say you're in a hospital, uh, like a St. Jude or something, and you're making friends with everybody on the hall. It's not, they're very private at this age, which adds to some of the difficulty in getting the publicity for it. Um, I sit on some advisory councils and things with the, about sarcoma groups, and there are some young people on there, and I always really commend them because it is hard for their peer group to. It's they want, you know, they'll they'll be influencers on social media when it comes to TikToking and all that. But when it's when it comes to something like this, that's not what your peers understand or know about or necessarily want to hear about. Sarah's been very careful with her groups, especially in college, that she doesn't talk about it openly until she gets close to people. So they didn't want, she didn't really want necessarily to meet others. And I've talked to other parents who, whose kids are the same. In fact, I had a conversation not too long ago with the mother of a 15 year old male going through similar thing. And he does not, they just do not want, they're not like others. You know how teenagers are. They're not, they're just it's private. So it, it's a lot harder, actually, in some ways. I think, Molly, didn't we talk about that? I said, gosh, I mean, even in the legal aspects of her care, um, in the very beginning, what she's totally, totally in a different, when the second tumor came back, man, it was way different than the first one. And the first one, it's like, mom, why do you think you know more than the doctors? And um, when the second one came after she had matured a whole bunch in that year, she even saw how, I I don't know how to say it, but where the doctors didn't really know, we already knew a lot about the clear cell by that point when the second one came back. And so locally, our doctors were very wrong about some of the stuff they were saying. They thought they were right, but we already knew from traveling and going to um, other specialty centers that they were very wrong. So you know, now she gets it, but by, but for a 17-year-old, it's tough. They don't want you introducing them, oh, here's another kid that's got it. I, It's it's a hard thing, especially with this, and Matthew, especially when they don't do chemo.
2: Yeah, so, I get that. I totally get that. I didn't do chemo yeah. either, so I'm right there with you.
3: Yeah. It's almost like people don't think they're sick, and you just can't explain it to everybody because um, they look very healthy until mm-hmm. until they're not. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really, it's
1: bad.
2: Well, <laughs> stigma and judgment notwithstanding, this is a great part one to deconstruct Sarah's Cure, talking with Lenny and Molly from Sarah'sCure.org. We're going to dive deeper into what it's like to actually grow a nonprofit organization, join a tribe like the National Organization of Rare Disorders, leaning into what the actual research is in the genomics of testing, and what you can discover when you learn the FDA can actually get things done. So stay tuned for part two, and we'll see you then. Well, there you have it. Part one in our two-part mini-series on clear-cell sarcoma. We hope you've learned a whole bunch today about the disease, what it takes to make a difference, the challenges and opportunities that are facing anyone that really wants to make a dent in the universe, and more to be continued in part two. So be sure to join us when that show drops. See you next time. That's all for today, folks.
0: If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tunn is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.
2: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars.